On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident, it was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. Whether it's taking all your little ones to their sporting events or everybody getting together and taking a ride to the beach, the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped for any adventure. With features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud or standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is The Answer. I'm Chris Ryan. I'm joined by Sirit Sohi. We're talking about game two. We're talking about the passion of Giannis. The, like, honestly, like, one of the... I don't... I don't. It, it, it is impressive even the right word even more for Giannis? I know we're going to get to the Suns and the fact that the Suns might walk this, but watching Giannis in that third quarter hit the deck, grab the knee, and just get up every time off the mat was kind of, like, was awe-inspiring. It was, it was. These, these moments are actually very difficult to describe, I think. I saw somebody post um, after Kevin Durant's Game 7, which has a comparable sort of feel to it uh, in terms of just somebody giving everything they have right in front of you and you're just like, dude, how do you keep on doing this? Like this, how do you have this endless well? It's, it's inspiring, it really is, like watching somebody do that. Um, might I say it makes us feel like we could p- possibly do a same, you know, a similar thing if we were putting this in that scenario if we but somehow hyperextended was, a podcasting muscle and then we're forced to just keep podcasting i have i kind of have a hyperextended podcasting muscle uh <laughs> my, my friend got married this weekend and i had my first uh rec league game back and it was just a lot of pent-up energy out out at once i've been drinking a lot of tea I've just been getting like rehab non-stop to to, to get ready for this so i i kind of understand how he feels right now you're a gamer <laughs> that's the thing well, look, look, it's the playoffs. It's it's the finals. If you can if you can go, you got to go. <laughs> but when KD had that game seven, I saw somebody on Twitter post the Jimmy Butler meme from last year where he was uh, hanging over the stanchion and just dripping with sweat. And I think you have to use other moments as an example because there is actually no human way to describe what happened with Giannis. It's just something that you feel and you can compare it to other feelings. But I just don't know that you can actually describe what, what it was. But that's what's so inspiring about the finals. It was like, so Giannis ends with 42. I think 20 of them came in the third quarter. Uh, 15 for 22 from the field, one for five from three, 11 from 18, a very respectable 11 from 18 from, from the free throw line. He grabs 12 boards. You know, this was a real, like nobody else came to show, nobody else showed up to play with him tonight. Let's, let's give the, the Suns their due though, because like that was a clinical home team taking care of business. And you and I were texting a little bit during the game. I wonder if our listeners in green room got a chance to like notice this one play, but there was, there was one sequence sort of in the second quarter where the Suns basically had like a Barcelona football club possession where they just whipped it around the floor. I think everyone touched it twice and then it ended up underneath the hoop for Aiton. And it was like, that they, they will show that that will be the first play I think of when I think of this Suns team this season. Unless they top it, unless they top it. Uh, Phoenix Arola says this Phoenix Suns team looked beautiful game-esque. Yes. Uh, yeah. Feels predestined they win. They do have a team of destiny vibe. Um, that second quarter possession, I, I typed it out and that's why I was watching from behind. It was 305 words. Uh, <laughs> and look, I, I write pretty tight. Uh, 305 words. Sorry, Justin. Later. Uh, but so many things happened on just one possession. And it was really like a testament to how good both teams are. Like there were times in that possession where 
things almost went wrong for for the Suns. Like the the biggest one just being uh, Middleton almost stealing that Crowder pass that turned into the McHale pass, which yeah. turned into the Aiton pass, which almost didn't go in. Uh, because PJ Tucker was almost there. And that was like kind of the buck story today. They were, they were almost there. Like they had a lot of really, really impressive defensive possessions that they just couldn't convert. Um, I thought drew holiday showed up and I don't want to talk, you know, we can continue on the suns, but it was really one of those games where the suns were just winning the loose balls, even though, I mean, their effort, they deserved it, but there was like that Drew Holiday block that turned into an eight and dunk because nobody was there. That's obviously just, you know, you have a couple guys really there and you have a couple guys that aren't. Uh, and for the Suns, like everybody was there and you had and, it, and you got possessions like that. You, it, that was, I think, the starters on the floor, too. Um, and I think that we should just talk about the starters in general. This is one of the best starting lineups I've seen in a really long time. Uh, friend, friend of the pot. This is one thing where I haven't gotten to argue with Bill about this quite yet, but I've all, I, I didn't, uh, I, I disagree with his characterization of like, you need to know who the best five guys are on your team, especially yeah. now, because you kind of need to know your best six or seven. There's so much variation, but this Suns team is actually an inversion of that. They're five guys. You just, there aren't a lot of adjustments that can make, oh, I drink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we we agreed before the game uh, as a homage to uh, to Mark to Mark Jackson and uh, Jeff Van Gundy that we would drink every time we said adjustments because man we were talking about that word a lot. Uh, but where was I? Well, when you say adjustments, drink. The thing is, is that this is what Bud's been getting killed for the entire playoffs is like his lack of adjustments or maybe the wrong adjustments or whatever. And why is Lopez still out there? And they should do this and they should do that. The, I wouldn't go as far as to say the Suns are adjustment proof, you know? I mean, I think the Suns can be susceptible to, like, uh, interior scoring, I guess. Like, we would have seen what, what the Lakers would have done had Anthony Davis been healthy. And you saw Giannis feast on them a little bit tonight. But every time the Bucks really started to get back into this, the Suns had the tourniquet. And the tourniquet was either Booker or Paul, usually, with a jumper, that just kind of iced that run that the the Bucks were trying to make, and the Bucks were like, I it just felt like the Bucks were really grinding for their baskets, and the Suns like it was just a product of their their system systematic play. Mm-hmm. Well, they were hitting every three too. Yeah. Uh, the first quarter was really interesting, where it looked like the Bucks. It's not necessarily a formula, but it looked like okay, the Bucks are just gonna make these guys shoot threes. Um, and the Bucks are just going to get a ton of a ton of two pointers. They had twenty twenty uh, famously now they had twenty four <laughs> points in the paint in the first quarter, and and the Suns had zero. And I was kind of wondering at, as that quarter started to dwindle down, like okay, like is this is this a formula e- that either coach is going to be okay with living with? Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer, evidently, for Monty Williams was no. They went to that zone, flipped the game. And then from that point on, that's when it just became really hard for Milwaukee, I thought. I thought, like, they wanted to play a particular game, and then they got taken out of it. And honestly, like, Giannis came back in in that third, and that's when he started to be the guy going to the paint. I just don't think – I don't think that there's a lot that you can – like, I'm kind of with you. Like, there's not a lot that you can say about, you know, bud-level adjustments. Like like the fella said, you know, adjustments are – players playing better um and I thought that you just didn't really get a lot of that really (laughs) like that's ultimately just what they what they didn't get yeah I mean it was such an incredibly balanced performance where you get 31 from Booker who Mm -hmm. looked uh, incredible tonight yeah 23 from Paul Mm -hmm. 27 from Bridges and then Aiden and Crowder doing a lot of dirty work and and like just getting enough from the bench players that they needed but most of their starters played 40 plus minutes and then you add on top of that Monty Williams, like we get the one for the first time in like maybe my adult life, there is a cutaway to a coaching moment. Mm -hmm. And a bunch of people have mentioned this in the green room chat, a a cutaway to a coaching moment where I was like, I'm about to start crying slash I think I might do some pushups where DeAndre Aiden's got his head hanging low a little bit. He's obviously not feeling himself tonight. He's not Mm -hmm. feeling the game tonight. And Monty Williams is just like, every time we ever get a cut cutaway, it's you guys just outwork your other guy. Make sure you're there for your teammates. Good job. And what tonight, Monty, Monty Williams was like, the reason why you are down is because you are so good right now. You have raised your level 
and you're mad that you're not playing to that level. So now go out there and play at that level, but don't be tactful, use force. And I was like, this is coaching. This is amazing. Yeah. Like, this is like, we talk so much trash about coaching all playoffs and we never get to really feel what it's like to, to, to get these guys and their analysis and the way they motivate different people. And mm-hmm. I thought it was fantastic. And you know what was amazing was that I was kind of hoping that they would start going to Aiton more, and they didn't. He had to like basically lunch pail it the entire rest of the game. But it was just an example of like, I, I feel like this was a little bit of a coronation game for them. And it was a coronation game for Monty. Yeah, when he, I, I think, you know, he said at the end, like something along the lines of like, you can dominate with force, like you don't have to dominate with stats. Like, your stats aren't necessarily going to be what shows it. It doesn't have to be rebounds. And he comes out of that timeout, and he sets two hard screens in a row. Both of them yeah. lead to a shot. Really um, hard. Yeah. Yeah, honestly, like, really hard. And he he pulls down, I think, three rebounds in a row after that while stopping shots in the paint. I think one of them was a was a Drew Holiday miss. Um and he's he just becomes exactly it was like a movie script honestly it was like i felt i felt genuinely incredibly inspired um and then he has a he has a drive and then a save um and all all the while that's happening like one thing that could be really discouraging for a player like Aiton, especially at a moment where he's thinking like okay time to step up was that yanis was killing him um in the post through that entire yeah. stretch but it didn't impact anything else that Aiton did. And that's just really impressive. And I think that for a guy like Aiton, it's just honestly like a really inspiring story. Uh, like he was not a very serious basketball player in his rookie year. Like he would come in to, into, into the training facility, uh, which at the time was actually just, you know, the son's gym. And, you know, he would be like, damn, like, People really take basketball seriously in the NBA. Like, oh, this is different. Okay, okay. And like, you know, there's times where, you know, he's watching Booker and it's like their dedication level is very different. And like, obviously we have heard ad nauseum about how much they've picked up his game, but it really is impressive to see somebody do that this young, this quickly after really, like, if you look at him, number one pick, you know, went to college, same place uh, that that he plays now, didn't really like have a lot of incentive to have to become this guy but did it and is like really sacrificing his own offense while doing it it's just super impressive uh for somebody to like make that big of a psychological shift and be exactly what is needed right now like i actually remember you know going behind like the scenes a little bit me and me and justin were talking about like oh should we do an eight and feature and the thinking was really like you know it might be better to to approach that this summer because you know, he'll face Anthony Davis or Jokic or somebody and like th- that'll be like the great vaporized. that'll be the great yeah. lesson. Like that'll yeah. be the great lesson. And he'll go into the summer. But he skipped that step. And like that's kind of what you see with his Phoenix team. Like there's there's steps that they seemingly are able to switch, but they also have like taken everything in this season and even the season before that as a lesson. And it kind of just shows you like this is a team that like has found a lot of lessons in in places where like you wouldn't necessarily look for them. Like they tend to, they kind of redefine experience in a way. Yeah. You know, we have a bunch of comments in here, a couple worth mentioning. Wesley Moody says, man, the progression of Aiden just over the last four to five months is insane. Can't think of another player who's done this in such a short amount of time. I think we've, we've been kind of racking our brains across all like the ringer NBA shows this last couple of, of months, really trying to think of, comparisons i mean there are there are players who emerge and there are players who make leaps but there aren't very many players who i think look transformed you know Mm -hmm. it's kind of like his his progression has met the moment which rarely gets you rarely get an opportunity to have that happen where like you're like huh well if i work extra hard we might win an nba title you know and that is that is obviously something that has just been like drilled into him by Monty and Chris and whoever else. And maybe he just realizes it himself, but you have to sometimes incentivize development, you know, because like, it's not always just going to be because, Hey, like you might get paid more or like you might get more dap or like people might put you in a top 10 or 15 player conversation. Mm -hmm. You might, sometimes it has to be like, Hey, if I do all this stuff that maybe I don't want to do, or I never really thought about doing because I was always the best player in the gym, that actually might help our team win the NBA championship. That's pretty, pretty friggin' rare and it's like it a is. lot of fans from a lot of other NBA fan bases watching this series and there might be a couple of teams out there that are like that should be us 
but it's not. No, I think like there's really, it's a really, really rare transformation to make. And I wonder if it's almost like it's something that becomes easier to make when you watch other people make it, because that's also like the same transformation that it feels like Monty Williams made as a coach too. Like earlier in the season, he was talking about how, well, like it's well documented now. He, he kind of went on this long sabbatical where he toured a bunch of, you know, he went to like fortune 500 companies. He went to like different teams. He went to a lot of places to figure out how teams work. And he also went to his old players in, uh, in New Orleans. And he said, look, like, what is it that went wrong? Like, what can I improve? And one of his players told him, look, like, when I played for you, like I was terrified. I was terrified yeah. to make a mistake. Um, and like he's, he basically said like that moment made him feel like just a lot of, he felt horrible. Like he just was like, am I really that guy? Like, I don't want to be the per like nobody wants to be that person, but I think sometimes you don't know that you're being that person. Um, and he kind of just, he actually changed. He actually changed something that is very difficult to change about yourself. Like we always look at like the way we talk about Chris Paul, right? Like now all of his traits, like Brian Curtis had a great column uh, at the ringer about how we are going to talk about all of his traits very differently now that he is like in a winning situation, even though those traits haven't necessarily changed. Like for Chris, it feels like his environment has changed. Um, whereas for Monty and, and for Aiton, it feels like he, like they have both changed and, and both of those things are just really cool to watch. Enrico Douglas said in our chat, literally every son in the rotation and their coach have overachieved this year versus expectations and historical reputations. And so it's the same thing for Aiden. Can't remember this much universal improvement from a group of guys. There are a couple people in the chat, and I think in general, like, there's a little bit of cynicism about this finals matchup. I think that um, despite a two-time MVP and one of the greatest point guards of all time facing off in a finals, like, there is a little bit of a feeling like we are missing out because of some of the injuries that afflicted superstar players and everything. But, you know, while I definitely felt like ESPN was laying it on a little thick with the cutaways to, to the Valley fans, <laughs> like, I don't remember. I, I don't know whether it's that. like the, the people who are directing the Euro, the Euros games are also directing these finals games where it's just like every time Giannis took a free throw, there was like a panoramic portrait shot of 75 Phoenix fans. <laughs> I was like, I got it. They're counting. You could just stay stay with the basketball. Also, those fan cameras have also become better this year too. Have you noticed the quality is just so much better than, oh, like, than it used to be? Yeah, I think that's it's like part the of cameras it as well. that they use at like the Masters to show like guys walking off the green. It's like those those portrait cameras. They're amazing. I like it. I like it. It makes you feel like you're there. This episode is supported by State Farm. Man, I remember when I first got into a car accident. It was pure frustration because I did not have State Farm. And now that I do have State Farm, it is an exclamation of pure joy. But the only words that you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode is brought to you by Nissan. Level up your next four-wheeled adventure with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder, built to navigate you to some of Earth's most awe-inspiring spots with seven drive modes and all the power you need. Get the thrill of the drive in every moment of your journey with the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. At Walt Disney World Resort, magic is found in spontaneity. The unplanned, the unexpected, an inside joke born in the Haunted Mansion queue, a surprise stitch sighting in Tomorrowland, watching fireworks from your room. These memories aren't made from predetermined plans, but manifested from simply being present and together in the most magical place. Find your moment at Walt Disney World Resort. We've watched this Bucks team have false starts in in games, in series throughout this playoffs. Uh, I think that the best team that they probably have faced, well, well, the best team that they would have faced would have been that net with the, the Nets team, I think, at their full strength. I, I'm trying to think, like envision a world in which, yes, they come out game three, Pat Connaughton actually can hit water falling out of a boat, and we start to talk about like them getting back in the series. 
But there is the conventional wisdom in the chat here on the green room in the world, I think is kind of like, this feels very gentleman sweepy. Do you feel like the Bucks can make it a series? Oh, absolutely. First of all, like we're, we're still waiting on the status of Tory Craig. Um, after Sarge got hurt, Tory Craig was like the lifeline. Like it oh, was. You know what? That's like, a good. Po- that's a good point. I forgot yeah. about Sarge getting hurt too. Yeah. 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 Like Sharks wrote a g- great column today about how the Bucks could have had Tory Craig. Like they pretty much just let him walk, and they can still win the finals without him. But man, it'd be really nice to have him. And if they didn't have him this game, they might have lost this game. I don't really know how they would have replenished the depth. And you know, Tory Craig is like. He's a gambler. And actually, I want to make a I want to make a suggestion that we call all adjustments from now on gambles. Okay. Yeah. Let's just call everything a gamble because is this just we, like a, a an oath that you and I make to each other, or is that like something you want to like institute as like a constitutional amendment? Look, I'm not power hungry that way. Let's start. You know? Let's like, start small and see if it catches yeah, on. Okay. Yeah. Look, if I I feel like if it's a good idea, it should naturally catch on. We don't really need to give it give it more of a push than, than we're already giving. Think the more organically we let it happen, let people think it's their idea. It's a, right. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I think that would help us kind of understand what, what it is to be a coach in those moments because everything is a gamble. We say adjustment like, oh, if they do this, they will win. Like that, that is not how basketball works at all. Like I think you could see little moments of that in, in this game. Like Torrey Craig, for example, every time you put him on the floor, it's a little bit of a gamble. A little bit less every game. He's getting a little bit better. But um, like he, he makes a couple boneheaded plays where you're like, dude, but then if he makes his threes like he did today, it works out really well. And you're gonna you're gonna have that now with, with Frank Kaminsky, who is like just gonna be more famine than feast, who is gonna yeah. have to play. Um, but might have a game where it's like, hey, he hits like four threes, so you you don't feel it as much. Um, so that's that is my that is my suggestion. But yeah, I think that's a big reason that they could they could come back in this series, and it gives me kind of flashbacks to the Brooklyn series where the Bucks just every win is going to be difficult against them. Like you have Chris Paul and Booker bumping up against Drew and Chris in order to get their mid range shots off, which will work, but. How many times are you going to bump up against somebody that is as strong as Drew Holiday who went LeBron James and like finished over a wraparound on Booker and I thought that could be a moment where the game changed yeah, and, I did not, too. And, and not get exhausted. Um, I think that's very difficult and I think the longer this series goes, uh, the better situation it probably is for the Bucks. even with Giannis's knee. Now, obviously, you need that to hold up, but beyond that, like you can kind of start chipping away. They're going to go home. I wouldn't be surprised if they came back with a 2-2 split. I do think the Suns are going to win this series, but like we got to remember like there's a reason this team got here and they do get better as series goes on. Yeah, and they, this on. is a, this is definitely like not their first rodeo being down. So I think that that actually like I was watching um I think both Italy and England in the in the Euros have remarked upon like we were glad like England I think whatever but like they they were both like we're glad we gave up a goal because they were both really really solid defensive teams throughout the tournament and then recently had games where they went behind for the first time basically in the tournament and they were talking about like it actually felt good to feel that way like because like we didn't know how it felt until now and if that had happened in the final maybe we wouldn't have known like yeah. quite what to do for the mm. Bucks it's like you guys have been here before like you've been here before with Kevin Durant about to step on your neck like it's it's like you can do this you know like so like the, this is this is like I think that this is a team that's been through some really difficult disappointing postseasons and I think that they will go in and really 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 give it their best shot I don't think they're going to roll over and make this into like a a like all hell all hell Chris Paul thing but man it's going to be that 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 like front court depth thing you're talking about might be the one soft spot on the Suns I just think that like Giannis is just dragging that leg around a little bit the 40 points aside yeah he is he is but I just I just think about I do think the Suns are going to win this series. But I just think about okay now you got to put Jay Crowder at the five for longer than you would ever really want to. I don't know. It, it's tough because like I get the feeling like so Giannis is Giannis, and then you basically have Chris and Drew and 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 uh, Paul and Booker. I don't feel like Paul and Booker ever have nights where they vanish. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. in one way or another. I mean, Paul had a couple of iffy games and he's obviously been battling some injuries throughout the postseason, but Booker 
has just emerged as like consistently like a 27, 28 to 30 point guy per night. And he's never going to get rattled by being in somebody else's gym, by having Patrick Beverly in his pocket, by having people yelling at him, by getting his nose broken. Nothing seems to deter mm-hmm. him. So it's like really incumbent as a lot of people in our chat are pointing out that like this season, this series might get won or lost by because of Chris and Drew. Like, and whether or not they turn up. Yeah. Yeah. So somebody made a great point in the chat that a lot of Drew's points come from being in the offense. Um, and so do Chris's. Uh, I think for, for Drew, he has a little bit more, I think he, the onus is a little bit more on him to make some self-generated points as, as a point guard. Um, and I think honestly, he tried. Um, he came out firing out of the gate. He probably could have taken it a little bit more to the rim uh, earlier in the first quarter. But I mean, he was he had scored, I think, their first eight points um, and was pretty consistently taking to the rim, getting into the passing lanes like he had. He had some bad misses. But overall, I mean, like you kind of got a Drew Holiday game. I know that I, I, I think people will disagree, but I think that's that's kind of what you get when you sign Drew Holiday like this is. Why? I mean, I know that they couldn't have gotten Chris Paul, especially knowing what we know now. This is kind of where the Drew Holiday experiment lives or dies. And it could mm-hmm. very much live. I think it. I think he is somebody who will get better as the series goes on. But this is his game. He's not going to be like, let's come off of a screen and, you know, snake the pick and roll and get a really intentional shot. Like, that's just not what his game is. It is a little bit like, I think, I think that that's what maybe the chat was saying in terms of, getting his points in the flow of the game. But Chris, on the other hand, man, like Chris really just needs to get himself going. I think, I don't know if it's a function of the offense, but what do you think about that? Like how can Chris enter this series? I, I, I feel like he needs like a, like a bunch of people are saying like he needs to have like a, a signature night. He needs to have a yeah. 30 night. He needs to go home. He needs to be whatever happens to him when he is in the Wisconsin state like border. And then just, and become the guy that, like, I think that he's shown it. He definitely showed himself to be during the end of the Atlanta series, he where he and Drew kind of like emerged. There's one that somebody brought up. Matt Brown in the chat brought up a really interesting point that I hadn't really considered. Is it just me? This is from Matt. Is it just me, or did the Bucks outside of Giannis seem indifferent? I was hoping to see someone else get angry, and then Enrico Douglas, a couple of 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 messages later is like this is not an angry team there's no dog in any of these guys except Giannis it starts with the coach and trickles down and some have argued this is their fatal flaw I that's like a we don't know that that's the case but when you watch the Bucks do you do you see a team that looks like they're fighting for their lives PJ does but PJ doesn't look like but PJ can't do anything except defend and get a couple corner three like PJ can't score them back into a game if he's angry you know yeah he's not a he's not a game changing defender either he's a play, he's a play changing defender he can make a few differences in the possession but not in the way that you know Giannis can Giannis can come over weak side and like legitimately just change the shape of a game with a steal and a dunk um I don't like Drew, Drew can do that in the passing lanes too, and I think, you know, he showed up. He was Drew Holiday, and I mean Middleton. Middleton's got it in him. He not not necessarily offensively. I think that's his issue, right? Like he doesn't go for the kill shot, um, the way that Booker and Booker and CP3 do. Maybe that's the issue because I do think that they have dogged defenders. Um, but yeah, maybe it's that, maybe it's just needing him to become the guy that's like, no, this is me. I am going to be him now. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and that's something that I think is just like been, that's been Middleton's, I don't want to say struggle. He's an incredible scorer, but yeah, not, he hasn't necessarily stepped into the moment. Um, somebody in the chat said that every time he, every time the Bucks needed something, he took a bad shot. And I think that those are the things that you start to figure out very, very slowly as a scorer. Like those come, those kind come kind of like when you're in like the decade zone of at least if you aren't a lifelong scorer, like some of the guys that he's going up against. And that's kind of that's his challenge, I guess. That's his whole this whole team's challenge. But I do think they showed up defensively. I just think there were a couple there there were a couple bad plays in transition. And I think in general the Suns' transition defense was just better but that I mean this game was a scramble we have to remember mm-hmm. that the Suns won the scramble but this game was a scramble it, it was, wasn't it got like tight yeah it wasn't like the Bucks weren't trying the Suns were just really good I think we can go back to that possession that we talked about in the second quarter 305 words I haven't counted how many passes do you want to do you want to read me the it, rough yeah. version of this 305 words um uh, okay all right 
Okay, we have Chris Paul forcing Drew to the middle. Aiton. Okay, actually, you know what? That is that is a start. That's cheating. Okay, we'll get it from like the start of the possession. All right, so Chris Paul has it in transition. He's got Drew on him. Giannis is ready to help on the eight and lob. So Chris Paul pulls back, jump passes to Booker, but then Drew gets there and then he beats Drew. And then Connington's already turned around to help. And then Giannis is ready to take the eight and lob still. So Booker passes it to, to Crowder, which is through two people. That could have been a steal. Uh, Crowder swings it to McHale in the corner. Th- I'm not even... Okay, this is three lines. There are... <laughs> there are about 20 lines. This sounds like a, the, an episode recap of, of like mid-period Battlestar Galactica, where you're like, there are <laughs> nine cyborgs, but two of them are actually friends, so they mm-hmm. don't count. Um, I should do like the Mad Men thing where I just pull like little snippets that don't make any sense. That's what I'm going to do for the rest of it. Uh, Right hand (laughs) corner, Hall of Famer, gets Tucker in the air, swarming behind him. You know what? I did allow for some imagery. That's probably part of the reason. Yeah, yeah. Drops into the rim. Interior scoring. All right. You guys can figure out the rest. It was an incredible possession. You all Um, watched it. You all watched it. (laughs) I. Rob Mahoney says, hard to watch that beautiful game, Suns possession, and not see incredible fight, and the Bucks trying to keep up. That's a really good point, Rob. Mm-hmm. You know, it's exactly. like, I maybe maybe I'm just a, an old-fashioned guy who likes to see Duke point guards slam on the floor with two two palms. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's what it means fight to me. Uh, uh, Chris Law says, Milwaukee couldn't get a stop when they needed one, either giving up too many open threes or getting caught with the bad double teams. I, I'm not, I'm, I, I agree with that. You know, like, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. So what else should we talk about here? That is a problem. I think that's, that's part of it. Um, and you know, this is going to be a little bit of a shot at butt, I guess, but you know, they made these adjustments with the switching and everything pretty late into the season. I don't think they are exactly at like a synergistic place with it. Um, the way that the Suns are like the Suns with their offense, they were seventh in the league, but in the last 15 games, I think they had the second best offense in the league. Um, and that's kind of from using the regular season. The Bucks did a similar thing, just didn't use it as effectively. And I think you can kind of see that here. Uh, the biggest the biggest point is some of the doubles, but also just Drew and Brooke Lopez need to figure out what they're doing on, on the screen coverage. They are constantly miscommunicating, and it is now the second game in a row. That's something that they should have cleaned up after game one, and it just didn't get cleaned up. Um, they, they still are kind of like, you know, Drew will go on one guy, Brooke will go on the other guy. I think that's like that created a couple threes. I think it created a lob. Um, that is just a level of, I guess, synergy that they don't have. Um, but also maybe something that wasn't caught. I don't know. Uh, but... Yeah, you see it. You see it when they try to make like these adjustments. Uh, what do you think? Of- hey, come on. We're sort of gambles. Ah! We're, we're trying to start something here. Uh, when you see these types of gambles, it was a, it has been an interesting series in terms of the gambles. Um, started off the first game with a lot of the switching, um, hugging in, but not quite as much as they hugged in today on the drives. Uh, and now they're back to looking like the original Bucks defense, at least that first half did. And it kind of, it gave you everything you thought it would, just the Suns relying on three-pointers. Uh, and then and then towards like the second the second quarter, they, they did this very Sunsy thing that has like, I get that the Chris Paul thing is getting a little bit old in terms of, you know, Chris, yeah. <laughs> Chris Paul is amazing. Uh, yeah. we, we gave him his coronation for the Western Conference Finals. And now I feel like we're like, we've, We've talked about this a lot, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but you and I didn't get to talk about it, so go ahead. We didn't. We didn't get to talk about it, and uh, and I didn't get to talk about it, which is the most important thing, really. <laughs> <laughs> I need to get this off my chest. No. Uh, no, but there was like there was a point in, in this game where they re- I think they realized like that they couldn't just get three-pointers, and they started getting closer and closer to, to the mid-range shots, and I was talking to an assistant coach who told me that they call these like I think they they call them kill zones, and it's basically like all the spaces that Chris Paul likes to get to, like the the elbow the within elbows, the paint, yeah. like yeah. Um, and his point was that they're short mid range jumpers, and usually you have a, a foot in the paint, and they're better shot than mi- better shots than mid range shots. Um, and a couple of years ago, Booker stole those moves from Chris Paul, and that's kind of part of the reason why you see this like mind meld and I think that's why Suns fans are frustrated too 
Uh, because they're saying like, look, no, he's been developing these moves yeah. for a really long time. It's not like he's just like suddenly became Chris Paul. Like, but ironically, it still did kind of come cr- from Chris Paul. So you know, but it, you know what, both sides. This uh, is the but, thing though is like we've had all mm-hmm. these like um, testimonials for like what Chris has done to transform the Suns mm-hmm. and to take them to this next level after they had this like organic sensational bubble run but which was really just like a big promise and like any nba fan has probably seen their team get hot at some point and been like man next season we put it together i don't think necessarily yeah he transformed them but like there there might this might be a case where like the superstar acquisition actually fit and it yeah. wasn't just like, hey, we're we're we've got the cap room, or we need to make the playoffs, or our the owner wants a big name to sell tickets, or whatever, anything like that. It's like one of the rare times where I think there was actually like precision and thought and fit taken into consideration. On top of, hey, like you're you're one of the you know fifty greatest players to ever pick up a basketball. It would be great if yeah. you came here and we sold some season tickets. And maybe like with all this Lillard stuff and, and Beal stuff that we'll probably be hearing about over the summer of like, oh, which superstar player is next to move? And whenever there's, you know, once we get into like Kawhi rumor season or whatever, like also to consider like it's not just the cap room and it's not just the location, but it might also be fit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think this was one of the most looking back at it, one of the most intentional free agency moves ever. Um, you had. Because the Suns were also trying to play a little bit more like those Rockets teams were. Um, You know, going back to, I think, like the 19 season in training camp, they would talk about, hey, like, yeah, I think this team reminds us a little bit of the Rockets with like, you know, having Booker and then being being able to, you know, using him using him as a pick and roll guy and spacing. Um, Obviously, they didn't have Chris Paul at the time, but that's there's a similarity between those teams in terms of how they operate. Um, and then looking at the way that Booker plays, just how much he slows the game down, how he operates in pick and roll. And then also Monty, just him being a little bit more of, of a, a, a reformed, tightly strong coach, I guess, you know, yeah, uh, somebody who's, who's smooth, smoothed out some of the edges. Um, and it really just worked out. Uh, but all those guys, the three of those guys, have enough similarities that I think that they could alongside, you know, bring in Jay Crowder. And I think Mikhail Bridges seems like somebody that you don't have to necessarily massage too much. You have that core. And then all of a sudden that's enough for this fulcrum of a culture to build. But you need like, you need a little bit of sameness. There, there's uh, a couple, especially Brian Gibson brought up the Milwaukee was a rumored possible destination for Chris Paul when it was clear that Chris Paul was going to probably leave Oklahoma after that one, mm-hmm. frankly, incredible year that he had there. Um, you know, that's a, that's a really interesting what if, and it's a really interesting conversation about whether or not he would have fit as well in Milwaukee as he does in Phoenix. And, you know, uh, Brian brings up uh, the point that uh, the Bucks didn't move the needle because Drew's timeline matched Giannis's. I think a little bit more appropriately, I guess, age wise is so that like, I don't know. I, I think that I don't know if that was a possible trade for the Bucks, really. Sure. Um, Chris, Chris Paul wanted to go to Phoenix. Yeah. And I think I think the Thunder, so long it was a re- as it was a reasonable deal, were pretty determined to do right by him and to accommodate him. Yeah. Yeah, like he wanted to be on the West Coast because of his family, and I also think he wanted to play with Booker. He wanted to play with Monty. He talked about watching them in the bubble and seeing, like, you know, that there was something going on there. Obviously, you know, you know, maybe if the Bucks go extra hard, <laughs> the Thunder are like, ah, sorry, Chris. You know, like that we wanted to honor your wishes, but not that badly. Um, <laughs> like that's maybe a possibility. I don't know, but it's not like it was. The Bucks had a choice of like pressing a button between Drew and Chris. Chris would have been, I think probably would have fit better but i don't know if that was that possible there's a alex fury a furrier it's sorry if i'm mispronouncing your last name alex uh thought experiment not going to happen but an interesting exercise in team building in a universe where chris paul opts out so let's say money bags bob sarver is like i don't i don't want to pay chris paul 40 million dollars or whatever and and chris paul opts out um and Kawhi leonard leaves the clips and has interest in the sun's who would they want more? I think if Chris Paul wins an NBA title with the Suns, like he's coming back to the Suns. Chris Paul's coming back to the Suns. Like it's our, will, I think that's already done. 
Yeah, he'll get not, his, not like, like done, done, but like guys. Yeah, we'll have like a day or two of could the Knicks get involved here? But um, yeah, obviously already like Kawhi speculation, I think just because Kawhi doesn't really comment on stuff. Uh, Enrico says, Chris would have improved any team, but it's obvious that the Suns culture was ripe for him to step in there and do his thing. It was such a perfect marriage, kind of reminiscent 2011 Mavs where so many pieces fell into place for the aging superstar. Difference is just that the dudes... Uh, the dudes came to Dirk in 2011 and then this year Chris went to the dudes. That's a good point. Um, dudes, fellas. Yeah, just guys being guys in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. Um, what else should we hit about this this game? I feel like it's a pretty rich text so far, but I do feel like finals series, like NBA finals really start when you go back to the, to the, the sort of lower-seeded teams, Jim, and see who's who. Mikhail Bridges. Let's talk about Mikhail Bridges. It doesn't hurt yeah. at all. Yeah. Well, I, I heard I heard the gulp, and I'm I'm sorry. And it's, <laughs> if anybody's wondering why it took this long to to bring him up, <laughs> Chris so Mikhail Bridges of yeah. Villanova University and briefly the Philadelphia 76ers, mm-hmm. 27 points tonight, seven boards, eight for eight from the free throw line, three for nine, do, doing his business uh, from beyond yeah. the arc. Go ahead. You, I I, th- I thought he was remarkable tonight. I thought he was awesome. Yeah, that actually brings me right back to to the kill zone thing. Um, he started doing that. That was kind of the coolest thing about this game. Mikhail Bridge is obviously going to be able to spot up and he'll be able to drive. Uh, pulling up, fading away, like he's Chris Paul now. I was like, okay, like we you've seen a lot, you've seen that a little bit, but um, it's just really cool to watch. Like this is when a guy like Mikhail has a game has like a young player like Mikhail has like the sort of game of his life moment in the finals you always wonder is like is this like Siakam was having it when when the Raptors won the championship and you always wonder is like okay is this real is he just playing out of his mind right now it doesn't particularly matter because right he stepped up in an incredible moment uh but it's just this is really cool to watch he also this is this is something the Suns have actually really done well in both games uh him and Crowder and Aiton Aiton although the third quarter on Giannis, uh, notwithstanding, have managed to withstand the physicality of the first quarter that the Bucks always come out with and adjust to it. Um, they did that in game one when Giannis came out and was really aggressive, was just bumping Crowder, Aiton, whoever out of the way. Um, and then today, the same thing happened with Middleton. And I don't know, maybe Mon- Monty Williams made like a wired speech that we didn't here uh, to, to, to Mikhail Bridges because that consistently keeps happening. Uh, rebounding was great. Uh, Booker's rebounding, Booker's offensive rebounding, uh, really impressive. I thought he had some some moments there where the game could have turned and he found he found uh, an offensive rebound and either like there was the one fader where he just put it right back up himself and like found there was one where he found a shooter uh, on a on a baseline drive. I think it was like he's just he's. Somebody said this in the chat, uh, too, where it just doesn't look like he's surprised at all by any of this. No. Um, that is, which might be, which might be like, it, it just, it might be specific to him. It might be, this is what happens if you get like a guy who spent a couple years at Villanova and has played in, in some big tournaments and, and mm-hmm. is a little bit more experienced. I don't know. The seasoning might, might be right. He also just seems to be a person whose role allows him to be, as much or as little to play like as much or as little a sized role within a game itself. Like he has a very specific like assignment per game, but then like there's room to grow. There's room to, to, to kind of expand. There are people in here being like, is his ceiling Kawhi? Like I think Kawhi is probably like a stretch. I think Jake, I think Mikhail can be like incredible, but I don't know if he's going to be, Kawhi, who sometimes looks like friggin' Jordan when he's healthy, like it's it's hard it's hard to say that. Um, Maybe Paul George is a ceiling for him. Yeah, but Enrico points out the 2018 Villanova team just keeps looking better. Bridges making huge plays. DiVincenzo sorely missed by Milwaukee. Brunson's important for Dallas, and Pascal was useful for Golden State Warriors. Go Wildcats! I'm personally a Temple Owls fan, but like I'll allow it. <laughs> um, there was a good there was a good comment here though about um from Peter Voigt, which was, uh, he, he was asking us, what is the lesson, if any, that other teams will take from the Suns and James Jones on team building if they win a title? Is it oh, as simple as sign Chris Paul? I mean, I, anytime you can sign Chris Paul. Um, I think, 
I think it's a really interesting question, especially with this draft coming up. Uh, you have the Pistons obviously have the number one pick. They have a team that might be actually just ready to go for it right now. Um, if they take Kate, Kate Cunningham, he ends up being exactly who he's supposed to be, which is probably going to be a player that's you know able to contribute right away. Um, and they already have Grant. They have Sadiq Bey is going to be a year older. Isaiah Stewart's going to be a year older. Uh, they're they're a team that could kind of mix up the whole veteran plus young player thing. Uh, you also have the Toronto Raptors who have the fourth pick. I don't know who they're going to take with that. That kind of probably just depends on who's left on the board. Uh, but another team that has ve- that has veterans has some younger players um, and really just needs a little bit of an injection of talent to to get back where into depending on how good the good the pick ends up being. Like maybe it's maybe it's nothing. Maybe it's the playoffs. Maybe it's like legitimate contention. Uh, it is going to ch- like we had we did an answer episode on this. It is going to change team building. Uh, players are just so much more ready to win right away. I think that it actually kind of might provide an advantage for small market teams down the line where if you are able to actually get have your star be ready to win within their first major contract, that is incentive for them to stay. Right. A couple of people have mentioned in the chat, but like it's essentially the NFL rookie quarterback model. Which is which is just essentially like you get a quarterback who's like right out of college, but is on a relatively inexpensive value contract for that position. Now, obviously, the Suns are paying they're paying Booker already, and they've they're paying quite a bit for Paul. But they've got guys like Aiton and Bridges who are on relatively good deals, Crowders, uh, who are helping out a lot on on really good deals. So, like in terms of the distribution of their salary cap, they're really like they're they're very smartly allocated. But yeah, like in the NFL, you basically get like Russell Wilson on his rookie deal and you can have like a Hall of Fame defense on the other side because that money for Russell Wilson is relatively capped. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that sounds that sounds like exactly what... It's it's somewhat like it. It's, it's yeah. more just like the, the, the Aiton, Aiton and Bridges being on these like acceptable deals, I think is what basically we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. I mean, any championship team needs to manipulate the cap somehow. So, yeah, with playoff-ready players, that's going to be one of the ways to do it. So it makes a ton of sense. The only thing I'd say is that, you know, nothing succeeds like success, right? Like, right now we're looking at the Suns like they're a formula. And really, what if they're just a really good team that (laughs) isn't a formula for anything other than if you put all these specific guys together, it'll turn into something good. What if we play pop psychologist? Let's go Dr. Melfi with it. And rather than say like how you would team build, do you think that it incentivizes your Lillards or your Beals to be like, I'm really just a, it's just a playoffs away. It's just like, get, get me on a good team and let's see what happens. To say I'll stay or go? To say I'll go. To, I mean, well, for Beal, I'd go. I think for Lillard, like, whatever. Like, I, I don't know what the Blazers can do to really change who they are, but for a Beal. And if Beal's like, you know, I love Washington or whatever, but, like, Washington's pretty far away from having DeAndre Ayton and Mikhail Bridges and Devin Booker around him. Yeah, I, th- I think if you see the way that a city like Phoenix is embracing Chris Paul, you might say, oh, yeah, you know what? This might actually be pretty cool. Oh, that's a... Vance Williams start, suggest uh, would love Beal on Memphis, but would they demand Jaron Jackson Jr.? It would be pretty criminal not to. Yeah, I think you, you have to. <laughs> yeah, um, I think the team that could probably like quickly not be as good as Phoenix, but like if everything broke right, you wonder what Oklahoma could do because they have so much to. Sp- so much of that cap room and if had they gotten especially had they gotten some of like the sort of dream dream picks that they could have had like one in five this year or whatever like then that would have been like pretty Mm -hmm. pretty significant if they had gotten like Cade and yeah Scotty Barnes and then added that to Shea Gilgis Alexander Alexander and Kemba or traded Kemba for other pieces like I feel like Oklahoma has that flexibility to like slingshot back into like at least respectability if not contention yeah yeah Beal throw Beal onto onto that team and like you can make some noise in the western conference right and like if you're the thunder you could just be like you guys want six first rounders (laughs) yeah yeah I mean they could do that with really any like they could do that twice 
anybody who demands a trade for like the next like just just <laughs> gather together all of the disgruntled players in the NBA on one team. That would be a fun experiment. Yeah, we could get we could get Brad Beal there. Um, who else is disgruntled? I've forgotten now. We're in the thick of ben this. Simmons? Uh, ben Simmons. Ben is is he disgruntled or is the team disgruntled with him? I think it's a little bit of both. He's a did bit you of see both. he's at he's at Wimbledon. Is he? Yeah. <laughs> shout out shout out to Ben Simmons. I wish I was in London. <laughs> um, is he practi- practicing right right handed? I think he's sport. just practicing yeah. watching another sport besides basketball. We'll take a couple yeah, more questions I don't, before we I don't get blame out of him. Here. Um Rob Mahoney points Rob? out still amazing that Phoenix has the vibes of a slow cooked team, but kind of a mercenary model. It's true. It is like you get your Crowder in. Crowder's like the kind of guy, like always the fifth guy on on like your your contender. Um, let me know if you guys have any more questions. We can hang out for another couple of minutes. That actually reminds me of the Raptors. And I think this might actually contribute to why Phoenix has been able to do it. I think when Kawhi came to the Raptors, there was this attitude of, okay, this is our shot. Everything in this season because of this trade now means that we are playing only for a championship. And I think when the whole team starts to have that mentality, it just becomes like a mission statement. Like that is all we care about. Everything from that point on, like you just, you can't care about the regular season anymore. So all of a sudden, like, you know, you can give all the players these lessons about like, okay, this is what it's going li- to look like in the postseason, and they're not rolling their eyes, right? Like, they know that that's a mission. They know that this is like, this is their timeline. Like, they see that Chris Paul is, is yeah, may- maybe he'll be here for two years. Maybe he'll just, you know, hang out forever. Um, who knows? But, <laughs> like, you know, who knows? I, I'd be pretty happy if I was him. Um, but you know that the timeline is finite, and Chris in Chris's case, because of age, and maybe that becomes a galvanizing force for everybody, right? Then all of a sudden, if you're Mikhail Bridges or you're DeAndre Ayton, who are both, both of them are sacrificing their individual games right now. Both of them, like, you don't, I think Mikhail could do something close to that more nightly. Like, I think he could have even, like, a closer to a Harrison Barnes role, right? Um, And Ayton, you know, sacrificing his whole, uh, his whole post-up game. Uh, I think that's an easier pill to swallow when you know that this is for the right now. You know what I mean? I completely agree with you. Um, we can wrap it up there. Uh, we, we did a good shift with you guys on green room. I really, really appreciate you all coming to hang out. Um, you can listen to the Ringer NBA show pretty much every day of, of the week. We've got bill and, uh, mismatch going tonight too as well so tons of stuff to listen to tonight and tomorrow on the ringer podcast network thank you to Sirit for joining me uh on on this live episode of the Mm -hmm. answer and uh talk to you guys soon Mm -hmm. thank you chris 